Welcome to Staying in Trouble. I hope everyone's doing well out there. The episode you're about to listen to is a rebroadcasted episode. It came from episode number 43 a few months ago with Dr. Chad Hansen. Dr. Hansen is a board-certified surgeon here in Southern Nevada specializing in sports medicine. This episode gives wonderful information, especially if you're facing the decision to have surgery or not. Um, And sometimes that's a tough decision to make. But there's other alternatives that are out there. Uh, Most of us know them as stem cell therapy. We've all heard of that. But Dr. Hansen talks about the different uh, biological therapies that are out there. Some of these different therapies can be a wonderful alternative to surgery. Now, there are times that surgery is the best option. But Dr. Hansen is extremely intelligent, and he goes over all of these different options. And it may help you make that decision a little clearly. But even if you're not facing um, surgery or discomfort or problems of anything, this episode gives a lot of wonderful information. And we are so grateful that Dr. Hansen took time out of his busy schedule to come into the studio and talk about these different alternatives to surgery. We even get into the different the things that insurance covers and insurance doesn't cover and why. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Eric and I felt like this was a very important episode and that's why we wanted to rebroadcast it. So we hope you enjoy this episode, this interview with Dr. Chad Hansen. Sometimes you're flush and sometimes you're bust. And when you're up, it's never as good as it seems. And when you're down, you never think you're going to be up again. But life goes on. Remember that. Money isn't real, George. It doesn't matter. It only seems like it does. Hey, I already got beat up this morning. By what? I can't report. You can't? <laughs> we'll get us started, man. We're Let's on. go. Another great episode of Staying in Trouble with your host, Eric Humes and Adam Short. We have a great topic to talk about tonight. Uh, one of my close friends, Dr. Chad Hansen, is here tonight. I'm going to ask him to introduce himself. Uh, everyone looks up to him, except for when he's on the basketball court. Chad, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> Thanks, Eric and Adam. Uh, so I've been in practice here in Las Vegas for 10 years. Uh, I do sports medicine, orthopedic surgery, and uh, I'm a, a partner in Desert Orthopedic Center. Uh, and we've got four practices or four locations here in Las Vegas. And we uh, you know, provide the full breadth of services. And my focus specifically is on, on sports medicine and trying to keep active people active. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So today we want to talk about stem cell therapy. For those that don't know, and maybe have just heard the stem, you know, heard the ha- seen the hot headline, or you know, think about it in its futuristic uh, application, or you know, maybe they've seen like, oh, FDA doesn't approve this, or FDA doesn't do that. Give us a little rundown, a little quick synopsis. What is stem cell therapy? Is it going to make me younger? Is it going to give me more hair? Like what, how, how can it help me today? There is not medicine out there that can help that. (laughs) Well, I think first off, when you hear the media talk about stem cell therapy, uh, that can mean so many different things. Okay. And so it's important to understand that what we call in our office, we we talk about biologic treatment. Oh, okay. Um, It's kind of a misnomer to to say stem cells because there's very few applications where you're actually 
using stem cells, but we are using biologic methods, whether it be from your blood or from your bone marrow or from a donated tissue to try to help in, in what we call regenerative medicine. And the key being is, you know, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I love to operate, but there's a variety of conditions out there that aren't quite bad enough for surgery, but they're not good enough that people are happy with how it feels. And so there's that, that kind of chasm in between where they want something done. And when they've failed other modalities such as therapy or bracing uh, or even regular steroid injections, then you get into this question of, well, do we operate on this or is it something that we think we can get better in, in other ways? And, and this is the niche that the biologic uh, uh, injections have, have really taken hold. And so I think that's kind of the first takeaway is, again, while it's easy to say we're talking about stem cell therapy, we're really looking at a biologic way of, of using some type of fluid, whether it's blood or plasma or amniotic cells to try to help tissues heal in a non-surgical, non-invasive way. And so this is mainly for your joints. That's, I'm, I'm assuming that that's probably the number one injury amongst any athlete or any active person is joint pain, joint problems. Yeah, I think you've got two main categories. One would be joints like knee arthritis, and the other would be tendon problems, which the okay. common ones out there would be like tennis elbow or patellar tendonitis or Achilles tendonitis or rotator cuff tendonitis. Uh, th those are probably the most common things that, that we see. Uh, but as you know, there's uh, applications for these biologics across the board, and there's plastic surgeons using them, and there's estheticians using, uh, you know, PRP. And so it, it has become very popularized. And I think there's often a lack of understanding with what you're actually getting when you're paying for quote unquote stem cells. What's a PRP? Great question. So PRP is platelet rich plasma. You and just so, buy that right off the shelf. <laughs> just get that at the local biohazard. I mean, biotech. Uh. Well, we try to stay clear of the biohazard error. Uh, essentially, platelet-rich plasma is a process where you draw someone's blood, and then you take that blood and you spin it in a centrifuge. And there's a variety of companies out there and a variety of settings and how long it takes or how quick it is. And you essentially separate out the different components of blood. And when you get that plasma or that platelet-rich plasma, so PRP, that's ultimately the fluid that you're injecting back into the damaged tissue or joint. Okay. And that helps it, like you said, regenerate? And is it your own blood or are you getting someone else's blood? or And what are they injecting? I mean, it seems like if they take the blood out, are you just taking like bad blood away from it or bad parts of it? No, so it, it comes from yourself. So we, we in the office, we, you know, we, when somebody comes in for a PRP injection, they, we draw their blood, uh, and this is healthy blood just from the vein. 
And then we separate out the, the different parts of the blood with via centrifuge. Okay. And then we draw off that plasma, which ends up being like a clear or, or golden fluid. Oh, I also thought of plasma as being like super dense, like almost like a gel of like red. I just, in my mind, that's what I was in, imagined. I had <laughs> yeah. no idea. Oh, yeah. yeah, so the, the red stays in the vial. Okay. Uh, you draw off the plasma, and then that's what you're ultimately injecting uh, into the joints. And if you look under the microscope and and break down, okay, what are we actually getting from platelet-rich plasma? By and large, it is growth factors. Mm. So again, people talk about stem cell therapy. If If you're talking about PRP, that's actually growth factors. Now, there's a lot of literature out there for different joints that show efficacy and that it can work. And while it's not 100% of the time for someone who's certainly trying their hardest to avoid surgery. There's a lot of conditions where PRP is a very good option to, again, you're not risking infection because you're using their own tissue uh, to uh, try to help introduce growth factors, stimulate healing in, in that area. How soon do, so how soon would someone like contact you? Like, you know, Adam and I are getting a little bit saltier right on the head is what uh, it was determined. Uh, a friend of mine said is, I said, you get a lot of white there. He's like, Eric, it's salty. I'm getting a little bit more salt and pepper. We're getting a little bit saltier. So I would think that like our demographic is probably in your office every day thinking like, is this a, an opportunity that I can make me, I don't want to say younger, but like I said, more agile, you know, maybe make, or is it, mostly for hey you're inflamed you've got tennis elbow and like you said it's it, it's something that isn't healing like what's it or is it is it a performance enhancer i guess or is it just for healing no it's not a performance enhancer it's certainly allowed uh, across the board in professional uh sporting uh leagues um, and we, we think of it as a therapeutic treatment, not a prophylactic treatment, prophylactic, meaning you're doing it before a problem exists. Um, but we're, we're treating a condition. And okay. so it, it is meant to try to help encourage or stimulate healing in damaged tissues, such as tennis elbow, like you said. And then have you seen like cases where they've gone for like, so my father-in-law just had knee surgery last year and. Um, and I'm hearing like great things like people will go in for a back surgery or a knee surgery or a elbow surgery and things that used to take like months or years to recover. They're up and running within 45 to 60 days. Is that helped by by stem cell therapy or PRP? So that, that's a great question. I think that one, our techniques for surgical intervention have gotten better. Uh, and less invasive. And for a certain subset of that population, we're using biologics to help speed up that healing process. I think one of the unfortunate obstacles for understanding how well biologics work is that the insurance companies don't pay for them. And so it ends up being a situation where even if you think it's a perfect case for biologics, unless the patient can come up with the way to pay for it, it's not something that you can use. Oh, that's interesting. So are you more leaning, is there some situations that it's more leaning towards surgery? Surgery is by far the best, or are these kind of ways kind of replacing 
to prevent surgery? Yeah, I just had a patient today. Uh, I was seeing him for his right elbow, for tennis elbow, and he came in and he said, yep, a couple years ago I was living in California, had bad tennis elbow, therapy didn't work, bracing didn't work, anti-inflammatory didn't work. I had two PRP injections six weeks apart. The pain went away. I never had to have surgery. Wow. And so now he's coming in for the other elbow and he's saying, hey, I already know PRP works, so do we really have to do therapy and all this other stuff because I want to try the biologics? Now, I think there's that's a huge part of it is these are conditions that we can get better without ever going to surgery. There's some things that you have to have surgery. So if you're an mm-hmm. athlete and you tear your ACL or your anterior cruciate ligament in your knee, that has to be repaired. The ACL is critical for stability of the knee, and it's, it's one of my favorite surgeries. Uh, and if you have a high-level high athlete, uh, someone who really – wants to try to maximize the healing and maybe speed up the healing, then oftentimes at the time of surgery, we'll augment that repair with a biologic. Oh, wow. So and, that's a lot better than, than surgery. And and I would think, is it cheaper than surgery? Is I, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, I wonder why the insurance companies aren't getting on board and like paying for this if surgery costs a lot more for surgery, recovery, um, physical therapy, whatever comes after it, than just a biological injection sounds like the better alternative. I think that's a great point. And I think ultimately that that causes some of our frustration is that we're making a recommendation to try something that in a lot of cases is actually shown in the literature to be effective. And yet because it's not covered, it's cheaper for the patient to have a surgery. And you've got the risk of infection or complications from anesthesia or wound healing or stiffness versus an injection, which has very, very few risks. Uh, That's a big source of frustration. And I often tell the patients that, you know, if we lived in a world where everything was free, I would try this first. And and for for some that that is enough of a, you know, motivator that they they really do push for that. Um, but I think the, the ultimate answer to your question is, is until we get a preponderance of literature that says this definitively works, the insurance companies are going to push back because that's, you know, they're, they're not in the business of trying to provide services that are going to cost them more money. That's probably a frustrating, I'm, I'm guessing a very frustrating part of your job because you're telling people that. So, I mean, some of these people probably can really benefit from some of these uh, injections and they can't get it because just because they can't, they don't have the cash to do it. Yeah. So I, I think getting into a little more of the weeds with other types of injections would be helpful to, to kind of build our understanding. So we talked about PRP or platelet-rich plasma. I would say the next level up would be some type of bone marrow aspiration. Okay. And that if you've ever had a family member or a friend that's had a bone marrow aspiration, that's a pretty painful thing. Oh, I was going to ask you that. How much? I don't the, even know what are, that is. Are these injections uh, painful? So, so the, yeah. So a PRP injection. That, I think it, that's the big needle. Yeah, PRP injection. You know, you're just doing a simple blood draw. So most people have had blood draws, and that's not too bad. Uh, a bone marrow aspiration is you're taking a giant trocar. So think of the biggest needle you can, you can imagine and, and probably double that in size. Uh, it's essentially the size of a you know, standard nail. 
but hollow in the middle. Yeah. And you're coring that into the patient's pelvis, so deep into their pelvis to try to get the the best of the best cells deep inside the patient's pelvis in their bone marrow. Uh, is a is a is a patient asleep? Because I I'm just asking for a friend because I'm pretty sure my friend would not want to be awake for that uh, procedure. The the vast majority of my patients do ask to have a little bit of anesthesia. Did you say a little? I was thinking more like wake me up when it's done, like the next day. Yeah. So you know we give them some uh, enough medication that they're essentially taking a nap. They can't feel anything. They're not moving. Uh, which helps me, you know, when we're holding yeah. this giant trocar, you know, close to their important organs, we want to make sure it's going in the right place. Uh, it, it can be done as an office procedure, but it it's quite uncomfortable. Uh, and, you know, bone marrow aspiration really grew in popularity in the last few years because of this thought that you're harvesting stem cells. Mm-hmm. And you are. You, you do get good cells from this aspiration, but there's a lot of things that can diminish the quality of the injection or the aspiration, which could include age, medications, other conditions. And the older we get, the less of these progenitor stem cells we have. And so the tw- a 20-year-old aspiration is certainly not the same as a 60-year-old aspiration. And depending on where that needle randomly goes, you may get a little good plot, a good pocket of blood, or something that's basically just peripheral blood, which you could have drawn out of a vein in a much less painful way. Are, are there people? So, are are people, or are there services where maybe people are being preventative? Maybe they're they know they're going. They're a professional athlete, or they're in a competitive uh, atmosphere. And are they doing anything like prophylactic, which is preventative, to maybe draw those good cells now, you know, like Tua. Tua just got drafted, right? And that guy was like broke every year. Like he would play like three-fourths of the season and knee out, ankle out. Like he, you know, whoever bought, you know, ends up with him eventually, it's like, oh, he has so many injuries. Are they doing like maybe prophylactic extractions now to help people like in the future? Or like even for professional, I would imagine even for professional football players, hey, maybe we should draw these bios now while you have a greater you know opportunity than 10 years when you're in pain and you have less opportunity for these uh, progenitors. Well, I think there's some challenges there with where you're going to store these cells. And there's a lot of regulations out there. Air-cooled cell storage. There's a lot of regulations that prevent uh, manipulation of the cells. And so one of the keys that we really live by is if you're taking something out, say bone marrow or peripheral blood, then that needs to rapidly get back in to the patient. Okay. Whether it's their hip or their knee or their rotator cuff or their tennis elbow. And so you hear about this terminology of minimal manipulation. And we are essentially just pulling these elements and separating them with a centrifuge and then re-injecting the good stuff. And what we found is with the bone marrow is it's a big variability of is this really stem cells or is it essentially just a 
really robust peripheral blood draw that's quite painful. So that's kind of led to the next iteration of biologic injections, which is something called an amniotic suspension allograft. So that's a, a mouthful. Is there a, yeah, is, is there a shortened term? Maybe give us a little an acronym, acronym so, for so that. So ASA, ASA okay. for amniotic suspension allograft. Essentially, you get a volunteer, which is a healthy female, that's going to be giving a elective C-section they're not paid for it, but they agree to, to donate their tissues. And the amniotic fluid that's in the, oh, yeah. the amniotic sac is harvested uh, along with some elements of the amniotic membrane. And then those, that fluid, which includes cells, includes some scaffolding or extracellular matrix, which is part of the membrane, and the growth factors, which is what we said the, the majority of PRP is, is growth factors. So the, the ASA has, has three components, cells, scaffolding, and the growth factors. And then this is tested and packaged, and, and this ASA can then be injected. It's a very powerful uh, medication because A, you don't have to go under anesthesia to get the, your blood harvested. B, you're getting more than just growth factors. Um, and, and C, the, the ease of taking something out of the freezer, thawing it and injecting it is a lot easier than having to go through the process of a blood draw in a centrifuge or anesthesia. So getting into the weeds, you talked about the other biologicals. Is the ASA not covered by insurance either? That's correct. Oh, so that's, and I'm sure that's the, that, I'm sure that's the cheaper of the ones since it's so nice. So, so uh, along these lines, is this the reason why a lot of people are leaving the country to get that done? So I think the historically, there's certainly some famous sports figures that, that we know about, but historically the regulations around manipulation of cells is what led people either to the Caribbean or Europe to have biologic treatments on their joints or on their tendons. And while, while the United States has kind of been recently the Wild West when it comes to regenerative medicine or biologics, and mm-hmm. everyone's kind of hanging their hat on, I have stem cells or come here for stem cells, I think we've been very conservative in our explanation that this is a biologic treatment. We're not trying to say that it's stem cells, but we want to give you an option for treating your condition without surgery. And as these as these types of injections get studied more and more, and it starts showing that it's more, more effective than say a steroid injection or a gel injection for knee arthritis, for example, then that gives us gives more value to the to the opportunity to use it. And and this ASA injection that I'm talking about is actually one of the first that had a randomized controlled trial, pure peer reviewed, that showed that it was more effective than placebo and steroid and and gel injections. And quick question: So, for the ASA injection, is that is it based off of your blood type? How is that categorized, or is it just maybe uh, from someone you know or someone? Uh, you said it was from a volunteer that had a voluntary C-section. So how is that donor identified with a possible patient? 
So it's, it's not similar to like a kidney transplant or a heart transplant. It's more akin to somebody who's having an ACL and they use a cadaver graft to rebuild their ACL. Yeah. And so the cells that are used and the tissue that's used, it's washed and, uh, and tested for, for any pathogens, but it doesn't create that rejection response that, say, a living uh, organism like a kidney or a heart would. Okay. Uh, and so it's a, it's a very, very benign treatment. Uh, and like I said, when you compare it to having a trocar stuck in your pelvis, uh, you know, just having an injection where you already hurt uh, is a lot easier. And, and now we're starting to get some literature that's backing it up and saying, hey, this really does work. Mm-hmm. And we just helped that person avoid surgery. We we just had a guy come in on Tuesday, last Tuesday, and a year ago to the to the week, he'd had this ASA injection for knee arthritis, and he, he was a little bit leery of whether it would work. But he'd had the gel injections, he'd had steroid injections, he hadn't had a lot of relief from them. He didn't have bad enough arthritis to want a knee replacement, so he was kind of in this no man's land where. He, what he would say is my knee still hurts and I need an option, but I don't want surgery. So we did this injection and he just came in at his one year mark and he said, man, it's just starting to wear off. I want that injection again. And so, oh, so it does. So it wears off. It doesn't, your body doesn't like, Hey, kick in. Hey, we need to regenerate that fully. So it's not like, it's not like sci-fi. It's not like Star Trek is what you're saying. <laughs> not quite. It depends on the tissues, right? So if you're talking about knee arthritis, a, an injection is not going to make the bone spurs go away. Uh, you still have arthritis, but it's, it's going to affect the environment of the knee, whether it be anti-inflammatory or, uh, you know, in a micro environment, you're getting some curing potential. But if you're talking about, say, a tendon and you inject a tendon that is damaged, you might get enough healing to that tissue that that problem goes away and you never, and you never have to have it treated again. And so that's, that was like the elbow example that I gave where, you know, he had his PRP injections two years ago. He hadn't thought about, uh, thought about his elbow since. And so there, there's certainly a, you know, there is the role of, yeah, this problem is, is gone forever versus a maintenance. I want to provide something that will give me pain relief. And if I have to get a shot once every year, that's not a big deal. It's a lot better than surgery. Yeah, absolutely. So, for someone, say a forty-five-year-old runner comes in, his knees are—he's asking for a friend again. Yeah, and, and his knees are, you know, painful, and you give an injection. What do you suggest to him to continue? Can he continue running? Can he continue acting the same way? Because obviously, people want to feel better, but they also want to continue their lifestyle, and in sports medicine, they want to keep playing or they want to keep going. So. What kind of advice do you give someone that, say, has had that ejection to make that last that full year, but still want to run a marathon, still want to be active, still want to be out there? I think that's a great point. And, and that's one of the reasons that I love sports medicine. And one of the reasons I went into this field is that I like to stay active and, and be involved, whether it's sports or fitness. And I want my patients to have that same satisfaction of getting back to the level that they, they desire. Uh, and so our goal is to help them reach that goal. But there are circumstances where we have to give a little bit of guidance as to cross-training or you know mixing up what you're 
what kind of forces or impact you're putting on that body part so that you can stay active. And, you know, we may have a patient who likes to run seven days a week, but they really love to run. Mm -hmm. And so figuring out, A, let's get them better. And then B, how can we get you to keep running and also makes make you have some longevity and so that means you might cross train and maybe you're only running three times a week but you're still staying active ultimately our goal is to get people back as high a level as they want but you know what you're what you're kind of asking i think there are situations where the condition of your joint or your or your or or your tendon may may require us to make some slight modifications so that you don't ultimately get to the point where you have to have a surgery. So same question, but a little bit different. Someone who like myself, I love being active. I fell in love with running only about a year ago. I love to lift at the gym. I haven't had any pains or any discomfort. How do I keep that going? You're, you seem like a wonderful person, but I really don't want to come to your office and visit and, <laughs> and, and, and talk about injections and surgeries and stuff. I just want to just keep going. Although I, I would say he's a good candidate for the for the hip trocar. Well, That's his flavor. <laughs> but how does That's a, a guy point. in the mid-40s continue wanting to be healthy, be active, and stay out of your office <laughs> in I, a nice kind of way? No, no, no. I'm not, I, I, I want to stay out of my office, too. Um <laughs> I think the the important thing is taking care of your body and and we this starts from an early age, you know, and, and we're we're in an epidemic of times where we encourage our kids to subspecialize in one sport at the age of six. And that is clearly proven to be damaging for for kids uh, and and can really cause a lot of chronic overuse injuries that affect them and, and cause them to burn out because they get mm-hmm. hurt at a young age. And so that same principle applies across the board is you want to be able to cross train, have your body and your muscles do different things so that you're not as high of a risk for those chronic overuse stress fractures or tendonitis issues. Uh, And so I think A, making sure you have good form and B, staying in shape. You know, we, we, we talk about how much pressure goes across the hip when you're running or jumping six to eight times body weight goes across the hip as pressure. Wow. And so, you know, simple math, if somebody loses 10 pounds, that's 80 pounds less pressure across their hip joint. Wow. And the knee is four to six times. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, weight is a certain, certainly kind of the common thing here where if we're, we're making our joints, you know, feel these extra forces, that adds up and you get that cumulative effect that that can cause damage. So ultimately I would say is have a variety of interests, cross train, don't run every day. Good eating, good health, just all that just plays into it. Cuz I cuz I definitely want to keep doing this forever. When I started running, man, my knees would hurt and it would it almost discouraged me to stop running until someone I, I even bought these knee braces real tight and they had copper lining or something. I saw it on TV and, and, and anyways, and, and they helped a little bit, but uh, a friend of mine went on a run with me and he's looking, he goes, why are you running in those shoes? Those are horrible running shoes. And I had these kind of Nikes, but there was no holes in them. And I grew up, <laughs> I grew up in a household. Your shoes are fine until they get a hole in them. 
right? And that's not the case yeah, when it comes to Just to, to clarify for our listeners, what he means by no holes in there, <laughs> he means on the top or on the bottom. Meaning, yeah. like, you, well, well, whether you can see your toes or not is what he really means. So, and me being a big guy, you know, running is, I mean, I don't look like a runner. I look like a linebacker coming down the trail. I was thinking more like a lineman. As soon as but... I changed my shoes, I Googled a good pair of running shoes for a heavy set, like big guys. I went on bottom, put them on. I never wore my knee braces again. My knees feel terrific. And just changing that little thing up, it, it, I almost stopped running completely because my knees were hurting so bad, but it was just my shoes. Yeah, I think that's that's a really important point is that your form, whether it's in the gym or lifting or CrossFit or running, mm -hmm. if you have good form, you're unlikely to have an overuse injury. If you have bad form or you have a bad coach or a bad instructor, then that's going to spin you off into this land of, of injury after injury after injury. And again, I, I don't have any personal interest in, in, in shoes per se, but your shoes should be changed well before there's any sign that they're worn out. Absolutely. And if you go to any reputable shoe store for a, or a running store, you know, the mileage on a shoe is actually a lot less than what you think. Well, there was actually a website I found that uh, you put in your weight and then the type of shoe, and it gives you a miles of how long your shoe should last. And then once it's done, that you shouldn't run in those shoes anymore. You Absolutely. can go mow the lawn in them or do whatever else you want in them, but you shouldn't be running in them. So once I found that, it's going to be like, I told the wife, I said, this is going to get expensive fast. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with my weight, I better lose some weight. Well, and that's what Chad, and, and you know, I've known Chad for quite some number of years and, and he's always, you know, when I talk about what I can do to, to even enhance performance, right? We, I think as Americans, we're always looking for that silver bullet. Like, hey, is there something, Chad, right? Can you get me some deer spray? Can you get me, you know, some silver bullet that's just going to make me play like I was young again? I think again? everyone's looking for something like that. Right. And really, the, the, the simple answers are, it's, in life, the simplest answers are usually the answers, right? So, you know, watch what you eat be more active, get better sleep, better hydration, right? Take care of your body. And, you know, we just had, uh, you know, we had the lead singer for Hemlock on and, and he lost, him and his wife lost over. Between both of them, over 300 pounds. Wow. They went strict. That's impressive. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, they went strict uh, plant-based diet and, uh, it, yeah, it changed their life. Yeah. To see the before and after is amazing like i you couldn't even recognize it's you i have to verify the picture it's so different and i think so we're trying to implement some things like that even in our own household of, of better choices so that we can stay out of you know dr chad's office <laughs> is besides counseling people to you know maybe improve their fitness and their diet um you talk about form do you ever counsel people? Is there ways that people, maybe people can uh, address those issues? If, if, a, if a, you know, someone's a teen, maybe in, in high school or in college, do parents or coaches ever reach out to you to answer those questions? Absolutely. And I think that's, that's where we, we get the, both the physical therapists and the athletic trainers involved, because if somebody has a gait or a running abnormality, 
or the rotation of their their feet or how they're holding their their hips uh, or a, a pitcher, how their arm mechanics are. Those are all things that if they're bad, that's going to create a problem either soon or it's going to create a problem when they turn 19 and they they get to college or, or get drafted. Mm-hmm. And so the earlier that you can correct those uh, disturbances and, and really improve how the body works and how, how it flows, the, the better you're going to be and the less likely you are to, to, to have some type of catastrophic uh, chronic overuse injury. Absolutely. You know, having kids in sports, uh, the number one thing is your parents. Parents is the biggest advocate of kids. And coaching baseball, the biggest problem is kids that pitch too much. And they're up on that mound day after day after day, throwing 80, 90 pitches. And it's constant with a 12-year-old kid. And there's many teams that have come out, you know, a little league organization, some organizations do have limitations and rules against that. But there's a lot of club teams that there is no tournaments that they have no regulations. And they can just pitch as much as they want. And I've had many parents come up to me or I have quizzed them knowing that this kid pitches for another team, not just my team. I, 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 first thing I always talk like, did you guys do a tournament this weekend? Where is he at? What's going on? And even though he's probably my best pitcher on the team, I have to play him somewhere else because it's just not the right thing to do. So as parents, you know, if you're, I, I think that's really important is you're, you're your child's advocate. You yeah, can, you can stop them from overplaying or overdoing something like that. And I think, unfortunately, I think you're probably still in the minority. I think a lot of teams and coaches still have the mindset of that wasn't under my watch, so I'm not responsible for those pitches. Mm-hmm. And so he's staying in his pitch count for me, you know, full knowing that that he pitched the day before exactly. for his club team, and 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 that's why you're seeing again an epidemic of pitchers that are having the quote-unquote Tommy John surgery way young super young Mm -hmm. whenever this used to be a major league it wasn't until you were a professional athlete that you would occasionally break down your elbow Uh, but now again it has to do with a developing body not ready for the rigors of how much speed and velocity and rotation and torque that they're generating and they're creating a chronic injury Absolutely. And that's something you need to watch out for. I think in the last MLB draft, there was four pitchers that were drafted into the major leagues in the middle of Tommy John's uh, healing process. Usually that's a... So they weren't even throwing. No, they weren't even throwing, but they were still drafted because they looked at the year that they were throwing, they did the surgery, and then it's usually a year down where before you you slowly start building up your pitches and your speed and everything else. And they were still drafted. So a lot of these college kids are, are getting the surgery done, which I, 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 I'm, I agree with you. I think that's way too young. Yeah. Way too young. Yeah. Well, Chad, I, I really appreciate you coming on and giving us some real knowledge. I always thought like in my head, you know, you talked about some of those professional athletes that go overseas and, and Adam and I were talking about it earlier about, Hey, why is this being done overseas? What do you see as the future for for biologics? Like, what is there anything on the horizon that you know could give us a hope? And you know, now we're in these Rona days where there are no sports, where people are betting on ping pong, and you know, what do you see? You know, what do you see? Yeah, you're so melded in to the whole sports process. 
what does our future look like? So, you know, in, in every field, there's exciting things that come once in a blue moon. And in the mid eighties for sports medicine, it was the, the, the rise of arthroscopic surgery or doing surgery through the camera. And that really revolutionized the field. And we kind of lived off that for the past 30 years. Well, biologics is that next super, super exciting field and niche for, for our ability to treat conditions that we've been treating for a long, long time, but doing so in a less invasive way and in a lot of ways helping patients avoid surgery. And so that's what excites me is, is seeing a person that we can help through a healing process and they never had to go under the knife, I think is, you know, if it was my own family member and that was an option and was something that really could work, I'd be really excited about that. Well, and do you see that? So that will, you know, probably lower the cost because if people aren't going under the knife, right, there's less liability. Um, you know, I'm sure practitioners can lengthen out their careers doing uh, treating clients. And and so do you think that's going to help maybe elongate the counseling, elongate the careers as well? Uh, I don't know about that. I think, you know, I, I'm still a surgeon. I love surgery. Uh, it, it, it's, it's fun for me. And I like waking up in the morning and being able to, to go to the operating room. Uh, Adam, will you note that he said it's fun cutting people up is what he said. <laughs> That's what I heard. I'm a little nervous. Yeah, I am too. I'm glad he didn't bring I'm trying to see to what him. he's carrying. If he has a couple <laughs> extra scalpels, he's he, let's try this out. But I think this is this is the the next wave, and I'm excited for for the literature and for the the scientific support to prove what we're doing and the right places for it to be done, so that we can really validate with the patients that it is an effective treatment option, and hopefully in in coming months and years we'll start getting some insurance coverage so that it can be available to all. That would be fabulous. Oh, absolutely. What about, I mean, so, you know, Adam is a union, uh, a plumber, and in one of our previous podcasts, he bragged about how great the, the, the medical is. He's like, he's like, yeah, we're bored. We just take them into the, into the you know, healthcare facility. Yeah. So um, I think it's, it's great to hear that, you know, uh, I was reading today that NASA is actually coming out with a hyperdrive, and that's why I was kidding about the Star Trek. But to, you know, so when I think about Star Trek, and you think about the the onboard doctor, and they go na 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 na, right? And they go from being totally blasted to oh, I'm feeling a little groggy. I can get up, and so that's what I'm hearing is some of these biologicals are getting closer to that, and um, that sounds way more appealing than having a huge stick put in your your hip. Oh yeah, so. absolutely. What do you recommend on? Uh, supplements now to help out with joint pain or, or not pain, but just joint health? So that's another great question. You know, the supplement business is a billion dollar business. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of kind of crap out there. There is a huge variability in the quality. And when you try to put these supplements head to head with, with other treatment options, they really give conflicting data. And full disclosure, a lot of the biologics that I talked about have some conflicting data too. And so you have to really uh, get into the weeds as to what you're, whether you're talking about glucosamine, chondroitin, or fish oil, or omega-3. 
while there is value in a lot of those, you don't want to overstate them. My, my, my party line to patients is if you want to try them and it doesn't give you a lot of gastrointestinal upset and you can afford them, then you know they're, they're very unlikely to hurt you. These are things that aren't dangerous enough that the FDA even approves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think you, you want to pick and choose which natural options you're going to go for. Kind of like trial and error almost. Something I've always said is like even getting healthy is a, a path of self-discovery. So you just kind of learn what is best for you. Yeah, and I think a you know, perfect example, my wife, you know, she uses turmeric for her protein shake in the morning. And that's something that really she feels like provides an anti-inflammatory benefit and helps her joints. And so she stuck with it because that was that was something that she added to her regimen and she saw a tangible benefit. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and giving us all this wonderful information. And I think it'll be also good for our listeners. We'll put uh, any links or any uh, email so they could contact you in the bio uh, of this podcast. And you'll be yeah, able to. Any ways that, you know, that our listeners may want to contact you, Chad, we'll, we'll put in the links and, and then maybe we'll get a, maybe a follow up. I think if we could hear more studies, maybe some more case studies on a, on a follow up to this discussion, because you know, my eyes have been opened. I really thought, you know, like I said, of pro athletes, you hear, you know, private planes, they're being flown into different countries and they come back and they're able to play a full season. And, and so to me, I, when I think of those, I was, I think I like a kid, right. And you know, the pro athletes are all blinged out. And so, you know, it's interesting to hear that you're actually starting to do some of those treatments here for patients here domestically that it's not like a faraway like land of you know all these high-end doctors that are only treating like the rich and famous and that people are finally getting options to you know procedures that have been very painful and that can be very intrusive um you know like i said having a father-in-law that just went through knee surgery and you talked about it earlier you talked about the you know, the value of an ACL in your stability and in your daily movements and your daily mobility. A lot of times I think we're thinking like we're in our mid forties of a performance, right? Is this going to make me like LeBron? Am I going to be like the new LeBron on the court? And I think short answer is no. (laughs) I know Chad is always so brash. I have these rose colored glasses that, you know what, maybe with a little tweak, like with a little extra fish oil here, a little turmeric here, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. a little bit of the good stuff right here. But to hear, I think a lot of your patients are probably older than us, and they're looking for, hey, I want to be able to get around the house easier and around the pickleball court more so than I'm not going to dunk the ball again. Yeah, and I and I, I think that's a great point. You know, certainly we have that own that we had that ourselves, where we get this realization that, hey, we we shouldn't just reserve this for the high power professional athlete. There's a lot of regular people like me that have discomfort and have problems and have pain that we can help them in in a lot of ways can do it non invasively without surgery, and and that's that's really exciting for me. And that's why we need the insurance companies to pick it up. Because then it will open up for many more people. All right, so we'll have until to they it. start giving it away for free, and then we'll we'll wait till then. But anyways, yeah, we yeah. we 
We appreciate it. And we appreciate everyone uh, listening to the show. And always, however you listen to this show on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or Pandora, please leave a comment. It helps out the show and it, it, it's an easier way for other people to find this show. The other way, if you feel uncomfortable about leaving a comment, you can always hit a link, copy the link, send us a text message. Say, hey, I just heard this fantastic show. A lot of good information. Share it with someone. Word of mouth is always a fantastic or, way. if you feel uncomfortable about that, message us and we'll message them for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Give us all your friends' numbers. Just send your contact list over yeah. and we'll send the show out to everyone. Or Twitter handle or Don't do that. Instagram I'm just joking. Handle. I'm joking. Or Don't. Pony Express. There yeah. we go. <laughs> Some smoke signals. Yeah. But anyways, we appreciate everyone tuning in and uh, and listening to the show. Thank you so much, Chad, for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs>